Well, good morning. It's a real privilege and pleasure to be with you all this morning. If you would open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 4. It's printed for you in your bulletin as well. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is God's word. It is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, we could not know you if you did not tell us about yourself, and so we rejoice that you have, and now ask your help as we attend to this, your word. May we see and treasure Christ in this text, and it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. In a little over a month, we will welcome new students back to Northwestern, and each year we cycle through a whole new group of 18-year-olds who we need to get to know and try to welcome and connect into community. And so I have to each year kind of refresh my small talk game, and one of the, one of the best questions, which is simple but it's good, is uh, where are you from? It comes up pretty early, but it's actually a really helpful question for me to know. I can find out a lot about a student by knowing where they come from, including how miserable they will be in January and February. I'm from Texas. I preach in boots. This is my thing. And I'm cold in January and February. Where we are from affects how we live, affects who we are. That's a, that's a reality. And in our text this morning, Paul is turning that into a command for us. He wants us to see that where we are from should affect how we live. And we can summarize what he's doing this morning as simply this. We are called to live as citizens of Christ's kingdom, of a hidden kingdom, because our lives are hidden with Christ. Unpacking those two points will take our time this morning. We'll think first about the hidden kingdom and then our hidden lives. Look with me at the text in verses 1 and 2. You'll see the commands that are here, the imperatives. We have two of them. Seek the things that are above, verse 1, and set your mind on things that are above. Seek and set your mind. This, this word set your mind sounds really official, like you need to go in your room and, and think really hard, but it just means think. What Paul is saying is seek and think about the things that are above. What we are seeking and what we think about is a fairly good picture of who we are as people, of what we are oriented towards. And so Paul here is saying in what you're seeking and in what you're thinking, think about that which is above, which leads to the question, what does that mean, Paul? Does this mean that I need to leave this world behind and go to a monastery? Do I need to meditate my way to some higher plane where I'm not concerned with the things of this earth? 
Maybe you say, this is exactly why Christianity is a mess, because it teaches Christians to stop caring about this world. I don't think that's what Paul's saying here. When Paul says the things that are above, he's thinking about Christ's kingdom. And let me show you why that is. What's the one thing in our text that we learn about above? Seek the things that are above. Well, verse 1 tells us above is, it's where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. This is not a throwaway description. This is deeply significant because where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Paul, in using that language, is alluding to Psalm 110, one of the most important psalms for the whole New Testament. He does this again and again because the thing that is important about the above is that it is where Christ is at the right hand of God. And that speaks to his kingly reign. The above is Christ's kingdom. It's where Christ rules. And Paul calls us to orient our entire lives in thought and in deed around Christ's rule and his reign, even as we live here and now in a world that is not apparently such. My ancestors, many of them came over to the United States from Germany around the turn of the century. They settled in Central Texas, you can get good German food in Central Texas. And as we were going through, my, my grandmother passed away and we were going through her things, which were her family's things, the Brusteds. Uh, and we found this ring, a little ring, a little tin ring that had the Iron Cross on it, which was an interesting thing to find. If you, if you know your history, the Iron Cross was the sim- symbol of Germany in World War I. So we looked up on the internet what the heck this was and what we found was German immigrants, especially to the United States, when when World War I broke out, they sent their wedding rings to Germany to support the war effort. And in exchange, the German government sent back these tin rings that had the Iron Cross that were designed to be worn in place of their wedding rings as they supported the war effort. Hopefully before the Americans got in, hopefully they became good patriots once that happened. But there at the beginning of World War I, These immigrants were living in the United States, but their minds were set in Germany, and they were seeking the things of Germany. They were using their treasure to seek the things of their kingdom, of their homeland. I think that's a picture of what Paul is calling us to hear. Though we live in this place and in this time, Paul says, seek the things that are above. Seek the things of Christ's kingdom. Set your mind on those things. This is kingdom language. And if we want to see what that looks like, in some ways that's the entire Christian life can be put into that category. But if you kept reading in Colossians chapter 3, you'd see Paul's call in verse 12 and following to put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And then verse 14, and above all, put on love. To live with minds set on Christ's kingdom, with hearts seeking Christ's kingdom now in this land of our residence, is to walk in the pattern of Jesus, to love as Christ loved us, It's a beautiful picture, 
And yet it's hard. It's hard for a number of reasons. The kingdom that we're supposed to live in allegiance to is hidden. Christ is not visibly reigning in this world. Our values and our affections and our desires are much more in submission to authorities in New York, on Madison Avenue, in L.A., in Hollywood. They guide and form us. And our particular kingdom allegiance as Americans makes us something of alert, has, gives us an allergy of sorts to the idea of submitting to anything which works well with our sinful flesh which doesn't want to and certainly does not want to put on love that lays down our interests for the sake of others. And so this command from Paul, as beautiful as it is, is hard. It's challenging. But Paul doesn't leave us there, and he never does. When Paul gives us a command to do this, he almost always gives us a because, a reality that grounds his call. And that reality here is found in the idea of our hidden life. If you look at our text again, we've looked at the imperatives. You remember your English class? Now, look at, look at the indicative verbs, the things that describe who we are. What does Paul say about us? Verse 1, you have been raised. Verse 3, you have died. Verse 4, you will appear. Paul says, of you and me, if we are in Christ, you have been raised, you have died, you will appear. Have you ever heard those verbs applied to someone else in some other context? Well, we're about to say it in a few minutes when we finish the Lord's Supper. We announced the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And here Paul says something that should strike us as something radical. He says, you have died, you have risen, and you will come again. That which is true of Christ, Christian, is true of you. When we talk about this idea, theologians, we'll talk about the, our union with Christ. It's maybe easier to think about in terms of our salvation. Christ takes our sins and we get his righteousness. But Paul here is saying even more than that. He's saying your entire life is tied up in Jesus. What is true of Christ is true of you. And he summarizes this then at verse 3 with this phrase, your life is hidden with Christ and God. Because we look at this text and say, hey, Paul, I, I have not died yet. I'm still here. And I'm excited about raising from the dead someday. That's going to be fun. Right? But I'm here and now, and Paul says no, in a very real sense, if you are in Christ, your life is future, it's ahead of you, it's above you. You have been united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection, and you will be united in his return. Our life is hidden in Christ. Pause here for a moment. What does it mean when Paul, what do we mean when we talk about our life? What is it that is hidden with Christ? 
I think it certainly means more than living and breathing in cellular life, right? When we talk about our life, I think we have this idea, this, this sculpture, this block of clay that's in front of us that we are working hard to make something of. Our life can be used well or it can be wasted. We only get one shot at it, as Alexander Hamilton reminds us. And it's vulnerable to forces outside our control. One life to live. We feel this, I think, in the words of many teenagers. Some of you all are teenagers. Many of you all have been teenagers. My life is ruined. You ever heard a teenager say that? Did you ever say that? My life is ruined. I didn't get into college. I wanted to. That boy doesn't like me. I don't have a date to prom. The cool kids aren't my friends. My life is ruined, and it's especially pointed when it's directed at the parent. You are ruining my life. And what do we say? What did your parents say to you? What would you say to your teenage self? What have you said to your teenager in the face of such words? Hey, sweetheart, your life is not ruined. There is so much more to your life than this. That boy, he's a louse. You don't want him. Nobody's going to remember who you went to prom with. Right? Your college doesn't actually matter that much. Just get a degree. Right? There's so much more to this life. And that's something of what Paul says to us here. Your life is hidden with Christ. Things are not as they appear in this life. The life that you are living, the sculpture that you are crafting is not all that there is. In many ways, our life is a glory project. We're trying to make our life into something glorious. And Paul says, no, your life is hidden with Christ. Your glory is hidden with Christ. And when Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory. The Apostle John says something similar in 1 John 3, 2. He says this, Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared. And we need to hear these words. Because as we walk into this church this morning, we walk in having worked hard at our glory project, concerned with our life in various ways. Some of us this morning, whether teenagers or grown-ups, feel deeply that our life is ruined. That is the cry of your heart this morning. A relationship has been broken. A loved one has been lost. You've received a diagnosis that is not good. Your job is not satisfying. Perhaps you lost it. My life is ruined. If that's you this morning, hear Paul's words. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. What you will be has not yet appeared. When Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory. Some of us walk in with a strut. Our life's going pretty well. Things are on track. And just as much as that first group 
Brother and sister, you need to hear your life is hidden with Christ and God. What you will be has not yet appeared. When Jesus appears, you will appear with him in glory. And then most of us, this is where I am this morning, somewhere in between. Back and forth between my life is ruined and I might just make this work. Right? Trying to hold it all together so that we can create some glorious thing out of this life that we're trying to live right now. And to us, God says, beloved child, your life is hidden with Christ and God. What you'll be has not yet appeared. When Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory. This is a great encouragement, I hope. It is to me. And tying it back to our commandment at the beginning of the text, Paul says, orient yourself around the kingdom of Christ because your life is hidden with Christ. That's who you really are. That's what your life really is. So live like it now. It's a good word. That's what Paul says a lot. He says, be who you are. But there's more here. Just a little more, and I want to end with this. Because Paul's not just saying, be who you are. He's also giving us a window into how to actually do the thing he's calling us to do. It's not just a because, but, but a how. If you had your Bibles open to Colossians 3, if you look back down at that ver- those verses we read in 12 to 14, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This is what it looks like to live as a citizen of Christ's kingdom now. For those grown-ups in the room, you have likely discovered by now that kindness, humility, meekness, and patience are often not the way to make the most of your life in this time. You can hear Hamilton again, the play, right? (laughs) Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, not the way, right? You're going to make something of your life now. This is the way to do it. Even more, Paul's call, the ultimate call, to put on love to lay down your interests for the sake of others, to knock over the statue that is your life, to let it be crumbled into pieces for the sake of someone else. This only makes sense. This only is possible. You can live a life in this world this way only if you know that your life is hidden in Christ with God. You see that? Your glory is not now, and so you can go down and lay it out, lay it on, lay it down for other people now. Your future is secure, and so you can love now. And the cool thing is this is how Jesus lived his life in this world, too. Hebrews 12, verse 2, author of the Hebrews says this: He says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How did Jesus come into this world and live the life that he lived and lay down that life for you and for me? He did it for the joy that was set before him. Because he knew that this was not his end. And brother and sister, as you are called to go out and lay down your life in love, to live lives of gentleness and kindness and meekness and humility, do that empowered by the reality that your life is hidden with Christ and God. And your glory is in the future.
And so you can go out and do the hard work of this life. You can go out and suffer with Jesus for the joy that is set before you. That joy is secured in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4. Christ, Paul says, who is your life. Your life is hidden with Christ, that is true. But even more than that, Christ is your life. Look to him, brother and sister. Look to Jesus. If you want to know how to live, look to Jesus. If you want to know how to do it, look to Jesus. Jesus calls you to lay down your life, but he also shows you that he has secured a life for you forever in glory to come. And that reality empowers the other. Let's pray. Father in heaven, even as it is hard times to acknowledge, we rejoice at the news that this life is not all that there is, Lord. We confess to you, as you know more than we could, this life is hard. And often we feel like it is ruined. And so we rejoice in the hope that Christ has secured for us. And we pray now that you would help us, empower us to go out and live in that reality as we walk in the pattern of our Savior. For the joy that is set before us. Thank you, our Father. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.